What's going on, everybody? We're back at the garage. Host Samson Brew. And we have a long edition of The Last Dance Review. We actually did episodes five through eight. So sit back, relax, and enjoy The Last Dance Recap. The Garage. Man, it's kind of it's kind of awkward because uh, I, I definitely want to talk about um, episodes five and six, but this is four, seven, and eight, so it's kind of be it's gonna be a big, big um, episode. Could have said to, to recap five and six real quick, and then we'll get right into seven and eight. I have Josh Latimer, Ryan Moore, Jonathan Davis, and Anthony Scott with me. So before we get started again, just want to reiterate, it's kind of changed the format this time. Um, it's kind of going to be a free-for-all, man. If you guys have questions too, man, throw them out there for everybody to, um, for all for all of us to, you know, kind of go at. And we'll just, uh, you know, talk, have a good time, and, and enjoy the podcast. So to everybody, um, I'll just throw it at uh, Anthony first. If you kind of just can recap Five and six, what some of the key points that meant to you were. Um, we'll just go from there, and then, like I said, we'll get to seven and eight. So, and kind of recap what five and six meant to you. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be hard for me to remember which ones is which. Okay. They're going to they're gonna all blend in my head for the most part. I'm with you. I'm with you. I just had to look it up. Five is like the, the global icon, Mike. Uh, Air Jordan be like Mike, the 92 finals, the Olympic dream team. And six is when they get into uh, the gambling. Okay. Um, five was dope because, you know, the dream team situation, the practices and, you know, them getting up, kind of talking about how those practices were and how competitive they were. And, you know, they touched on, you know, the Isaiah Thomas situation a little more. And um, I still don't think they kind of opened up enough about who all didn't want them on the team. But, um, I mean, that's – I don't know. Maybe they just don't want to go that deep. But um, felt like they were protecting some guys. They said, yeah, there were yeah. some other guys, but they didn't call out names for the first exactly. time in the whole show. Exactly. I felt the same way. And um, six – the gambling situation, you know, we talked about that a while, you know, a little while ago, and I don't think it's a gambling problem as, as much as it's, it's a competitive drive problem. And, you know, I don't think people who are are not uber competitive can really understand that. Yeah, I was going to ask, is that even really a problem to be uber no, competitive? Yeah. So. But I think if you're not that type of person, like, okay, even at, at my house, my wife, she, like, hates playing stuff with me because <laughs> I want to win at everything. And she's like, like, why are you like that? That's, that takes the fun out of stuff. And I'm just kind of like, why aren't you like that? You right, know, I don't right. get, I don't understand mm-hmm. it. And I think, you know, half the world can't understand how somebody could be that way. Well, they right. they brought it back home to that last night when Mike, Mike said, you know, you're going to question me on this. That's because you never won anything in your whole life. Like, exactly. You know, he, I think he's very cut and dry on, on why yeah. he is that way. Like, I don't, I don't think it caught, lose, causes him to lose any sleep ever that he punched Steve uh-huh. Kerr or <laughs> Judd Bush or, or the, half the roster. Like, I, I think he goes, it was all a means to an end. 
Yeah. And I and I think if you if you're that kind of guy or even if you aspire to be that kind of guy, you totally understand it. Right. And if you're not, then you kind of look at them like that's just way too much. No doubt. <clears throat> Ryan, what'd you kind of get from five and six? You know, I love I, I gotta I'm gonna I'm gonna have to buy the t shirt for next March if the world returns to normal that I don't have a gambling problem, I have a competition problem. <laughs> and I'm gonna have to remind my wife as I'm screaming it's at the second half over in the last game of the night, uh in the first round. But I thought I thought it really started to humanize him. Not and, and I think I said that, that that may be the wrong word. Um, but it, it made him relate way more relatable. This isn't a perfect human being. This isn't someone that, you know, could never relate to the everyman. Like he's, he's got, I don't know anything from issues to demons, depending on how you want to categorize it, you know, like we all do. And, um, I thought it really started to, um, it makes, to me, it makes what he did even more impressive because he does have issues creeping in, in his world. And, um, I, that, that's what really stood out to me. I got you. JD? Yeah, um, I think episode five, when they started to talk about the rise of his global brand, um, really, you know, I was I was younger when that happened. So, you know, I, of course, being a sneakerhead, you know, and having hundreds of pair of Jordans, you know, I was, I've been involved in that culture, you know, ever since I can remember. And also to see how he was handling that from, you know, the good side to max, you know, maximizing his opportunities, uh, you know, because he was, a glo- you know, becoming a blo- global icon for different brand- huge brands like McDonald's and Gatorade and all his endorsements that he that that he got off the floor. Um, I think that it, and then to see him handle it where he couldn't even walk outside, you know, I couldn't imagine, you know, not in that kind of time, not being able to walk outside or go to the grocery store you know he was talking about just sitting in his room because he couldn't do anything um you know you know other even not even normal people some of the other players on his team could do and hear that you know he had to call ahead to just go to the grocery store I think um all that you know being younger I didn't understand you know how how big the hype is now guys can hype themselves up through social media tweet out where they're going to be and create their own hype. But, you know, if he, he, you know, he, he was a walking hype machine um, without, you know, the, the aspects of social media and um, six. Yeah. I, I don't, I never seen, I, I know people with different problems, um, you know, and especially with gambling, you know, like I, I agree with what he said when he was talking about, you know, I'm not gambling my house, you know, my kids aren't hungry. You know, he's gambling because, you know, he had a competitive, you know, uh, just an ultra competitive. I mean, they were competing on throwing quarters against the wall with, <laughs> with, you know, with, with some of the guys. I mean, he wanted to compete in everything. So I think that's, you know, and that the, the money aspect is what motivated him to, to, to win is to get other guys money. And, you know, even they even said it, it wasn't even always for a lot. He just wanted other people's money in his pocket to say, I beat you. Um, so, and I think that, like I said, there's, there's only a few people that I'm, you know, witness that have that kind of competitive spirit in my lifetime, uh, watching basketball with him and Kobe, where like you guys said, they're just different human beings. 
you know, um, you know, during that time, that time when they were playing, I'm sure it stemmed off the court, on the court, family life. Um, and, and that, those are my takeaways from that, from those two episodes. I got you. Jay Lat, kind of finish it off. About five and six. Um, five when, what I took away from that, and I think I asked the question, why was Jerry always poking and prodding? Um, you know, it started with Tony Kukoc, and like we talked about last week, um, Tony kind of got an unfair shot. Like, he didn't, he didn't do anything. And, uh-huh. and he was the focal point because of Jerry opening his big mouth. So I think I asked that last week. I, I don't know if Jerry was doing it to, to get the best, but I think Ant said, you know, every time Jerry poked and prodded, it backfired. It backfired with Dan Marley. Backfired uh, the comedy made about Tony Kukoc. So, um, that was Ryan. Yeah, okay, that was right, right, right. Yeah, but I want to ask a question on that now after we've seen last night. It's like I feel like more of the picture got revealed. The Tony Kukoc thing, I think, was well documented even at the time. Like, Krause was infatuated with him, thought he was, you know, the Euro League was going to translate to way more than it did. Not that Tony was bad by any means, but um, I, I think that was real. But was the Dan Marley thing Kanye man- manufactured like we saw with the Bradford? Honestly, I, mean, I think it might have been. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking it had to be because why yeah, is Jerry Krause worried Dan about Marley. a guy in the Western Conference that went to Central Michigan? I mean, and, and, and there was so little pl- – not little player movement, but the player movement wasn't like it is now. The players didn't right. have the freedom they have now. So it's not like the Bulls were ever going to really make a run at Dan Marley. Like, I, I, I'm – hey – I think his ability to manufacture motivation is unbelievable. Yeah. But, I mean, what did Dan Marley have to do with anything? <laughs> yeah, and I remember growing up at that time, too. My team wasn't the Bulls. My team was the Suns, and Charles Barkley was my favorite player. And those you uniforms were legit. And the Sunburst were legit, uniforms. You know, oh. the, yeah, those old school um, starter jackets. Yep. And stuff. Yeah, I was a huge Suns fan, you know, that whole team. And, yeah, Dan Marley was was good, but – you know, he was in. He was nowhere near on the level of a, of you can even discuss him doing anything with Michael Jordan on the basketball floor. Right. I mean, that's not even that's not even a comparable. You know. Um, I mean, and know, was Dan Marley was a it was a great player for what he what he brought to that Suns team. But I mean, it's not. It was. Yeah, I think that was well manufactured as well. Yeah, like I think Clyde Drexler was too. The only. I mean, granted, Clyde was drafted. At, you know, the Blazers didn't take him because they had Clyde. So. That may be a little more understand understandable to manufacture, but I think I, I, I the guy's a basketball sociopath is what I'm taking yeah. from this man. He's just he's he's just a basketball sociopath, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just I mean, poor, I feel bad for some of those dudes, and I'm I'm a competition junkie. I mean, I'm I'm crazy competitive, but it's the way he talks about some of those guys and the looks on their faces because yeah. there's nothing they could do, like let, <laughs> nothing they could why, do. Why do you feel bad though? Because you know, I think I asked in our, in our chat yesterday. Like to me, it it kind of made Horace Grant not look bad, but you had guys with maybe quote unquote lesser known talent take it, eat it, and then they perform at a high level or when they were needed, or when or when they were called upon. I mean, I just think it's like if, if, if it's the first day of your freshman year of high school and the coolest kid in the school sets his target on you and picks on you and singles you, it's going to be a rough four years. 
And I just feel like Mike was that alpha dog. I mean, the, the supreme alpha dog. And like, even at the all-star game, like, like part of me wonders, you know, they talked about Isaiah being left off the dream team because of the dynamic in the locker room. Did Mike have to repair some relationship with, with some guys or, you know, go out of his way to talk to certain guys because of how he was like, I, it, it'd be interesting to hear some of those real stories. No, no doubt. It definitely would. So, like I said, we'll go, we'll go to seven, seven and eight. And I think you, you alluded to it already, Ryan, about uh, just his competitive nature, um, how he just wanted to win. And, and you were kind of referred back to that, to that scene um, where he basically gets to tears talking about it. His teammates talking about competition. At the end of the day, it's about, it's about winning. Um, so just kind of talk about what you guys felt from that particular scene. And again, I'm not going to call anybody's name out. Go ahead and just chime in. Kind of just respect the person when they answer. Just kind of talk about what that scene meant to you watching him show that kind of raw emotion. I feel like um, he he knows, especially with the footage that's coming out and over time and, you know, all, all the years that he's been playing. I think he thinks he's a misunderstood person. And... um with him being misunderstood, I think he felt like he got the short end of the stick as far as how people see him and maybe they think he's a monster. And ultimately, in his mind, it was all for the benefit of the team. It was all for the benefit of everybody's legacies going forward. And, I mean, if you feel like you're doing the best thing for somebody and all they can see is the bad in it, I mean, that hurts. You know, so I, I mean, that's what I got from that part. Yeah, that that takeaway of that scene also for me, I agree with Ant, but it also like it made me miss you know the competition because it it really seemed like like you said he was misunderstood and he really wanted himself and his team or anything that he was associated just to to give their their all their best because him as Michael Jordan he was out you know he worked out you know, to perform the best on the floor when he could. And, you know, that, that just that raw level of, you know, competition wanting to win, you know, you know, now they give out participation trophies, but um, so I don't think, you know, this world has that level of competition or wanting to compete and, and, and work at, you know, just a high excellence while you're competing. Um, I remember just, you know, how, how it used to feel to compete when, when I played ball. No, I got you. Ryan or J-Lat, want to hop on that question? Um, Pretty much like everyone else. Just to, I think that was the first time, you know, besides talking about it today, we got to see a glimpse of the real Mike. Like, like Ann said, you know, you're, you're doing everything you can to achieve perfection, which is damn near impossible in itself. And you're doing – I mean, there's no real rule book on how to get guys to that next level. So you're just kind of going about it, you know, step by step, brick by brick. And for so many people to take shots at him, his character and, and whatnot – like like you guys were saying earlier, you got to be that different monster, and I'm sure it was a ton of bricks on his shoulders having to be that way daily 
with his teammates. You know, you can't be friendly with him. You can't be the nice guy. You got to hold everyone to a high standard because you're you you're carrying yourself at a high standard. So, uh, I really appreciated him showing that raw emotion when talking about that. Um, Yeah, I think I, th- I think that sums it up. I don't know. I, I, I that's a good point though. I bet it it was it it had to be an awesome responsibility and a and a pressure packed responsibility. I have to be that guy because we talked about Phil's coaching style. Phil wasn't the heavy. Phil wasn't bad cop ever. That just wasn't his style. Um, which was interesting that Phil talked about how hard he sided with Scotty on the delaying surgery thing and how, you know, use the phrase, I just stayed good and then didn't drop a last second play for him a few years later and Scotty refused to go back in the game. I thought that was interesting, you know, but that's why Michael had to be that guy. It shows that Michael was that glue kind of holding the whole thing together as well as producing statistics to win. Hey, great segue, Ryan. Yeah, I think that's that. The Scotty yeah, Pippen scene exactly. was uh, – I, I forgot all about that. And and I think people are going to judge Scotty harshly, but, um, I, I, you know, again, I think that's just – there's another, you know, tidbit about Scotty Pippen is that, you know, it makes him seem like he wasn't a team guy, you know, um, just like you were talking about, you know, delaying his surgery and how much, you know, how much, you know, he, you know um, criticism he caught for that from his own teammates and Michael Jordan, even in this documentary, to say that you wouldn't go back out on the floor because you didn't like the play call. I mean, that's I, I you know, that's I mean, that's, yeah, that's a, that's I would, you know, if he was on my team, we would have problems. <laughs> I think I think there were people that had problems with it. You know, they, they talked, I don't think it was easily forgiven from, from what I read between the lines last night. You know, Bill Cartwright had to stand up and yeah, speak his piece is the elder statement and, and statesman and and Bill Cartwright doesn't get his respect for where he fits in the whole picture. I mean, he was one of the top ten high school players in the country. He had USF number one in the country. You know, his senior, I think it was his senior year in college. Uh, you know, Bill Cartwright was that dude for a while. So, so for him to get up and and call Scotty out in front of the team, and I think. You know, I think he probably did it with a little more diplomacy than some younger guys would have. But I, I don't think, I, from the way I read between the lines last night, from what guys were saying and then not saying, I don't think guys were like, "Oh yeah, whatever, we won, let's move on." So, so let me ask this real quick. You know, Scotty said, you know, he realized it was a bad look, whatever the case. But then he said, you know, if he had to do it again, he wouldn't change it. He doubled down on it. That's what I'm saying. So, do y'all think he was legit when he apologized to the team, or do you think you think he he was bullshitting? This, like, this is, I, I sent the I sent the same thing in the text message yesterday because historically, Scottie Pippen gets gets the pat on the back for being like one of the greatest teammates ever. Right. And this right. is where I have an issue with that because this is not only is this the first time we've shown something that he's done that just shows horrible teammate this is the second time he's done something like that but when you historically you hear this michael's the bad teammate scotty's the better teammate scotty's the glue guy michael was the one pushing everybody apart scotty was the one holding everybody together 
And these two things almost get swept under the rug. And it's not like the documentary brought them out to the light. Everybody knew these two stories right. before the documentary came out. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like he gets a pass on both situations. And then the and then the and then to double down. Yeah, to to double down, that's why I was like, oh shit, maybe he didn't mean it. Maybe it kind of it kind of makes maybe it look, he's just well, saying that I think that's just a <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, oh. that's a part of that, that's a part of his character, you know, because that happened after you know the holdout. You know, I think that's just a part of uh, a lot of part of who you know who Scotty is. I'm not here to judge if that's right or wrong, if that's right or wrong, but I think he was a me guy, you know, in a lot of respects. Um, you know, other than probably to Michael Jordan, I mean, he was a he, he seemed like a me, like a me first guy. Yeah, I right. was hope I got you know, he, he says it a lot during the um, you know, in, in his interviews, you know, I gotta do what I he's done do a good me. job of fooling everybody. I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I was hoping that they cut off like part of the interview or that it was take you know, part of the sound bite and it was taken out of context. That he was like, Yeah, I would do it again because it brought us closer to, to it as a team or. It created a flashpoint yeah. that we needed, like it created conflict we needed to grow. But it was just, it was just, yeah, I'll do, do it, it again. I'll do it again. Cause, cause... <laughs> you know, and I, I kept waiting for like the, the second half of that statement. Yeah, I was hoping there was like an explanation stuff. as to why he would do it again or what his reasoning was. I'm just, but I'm just going to say this, and it's not going to be a popular high school basketball opinion, but he did pull his kid out of a situation, a very good situation, and choose to send him into Sierra Canyon, which is, a fascinating I'm gonna put high school basketball in quotes there, high school basketball <laughs> situation. Um, which falls in line with some of this stuff, in my opinion. That that that, that maybe I, I don't want to say values things differently than, than I do. I I'll I'll leave it at that. Interesting. What did you guys think about how they how they started off uh, I believe it was episode seven, um, with about his father? And how they, uh, you know, kind of took that angle. Did you guys thought there would be a little bit more about it? Was it just right? How do you guys feel about um, that part of the episode? As far as what? Just, did you think they were going to go deeper into, um, I don't know, maybe the conspiracies, maybe. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I... – I, that part of the episode, I uh, remember it just as it was told, you know, that, you know, his father had passed away tragically, suddenly, and then the questions of why, and then they started to bring in the gambling debts, and, you know, they were kind of, you know, some media outlets were insinuating that, you know, his, you know, his demons or his bad habits or what caught up to him by way of his father's death, and, I never knew that to be, you know, I don't think that was ever even in the documentary was ever confirmed or not. Or um, I think he spoke strongly against that theory in the documentary, but it was exactly how I remember um, when his father, when his father tragically passed. I, I was, I was waiting for like, not, not any significant amount of time, but I thought, you know, Bob Costas did a good job saying, look, there was no evidence to support Michael, anything in Michael's life had anything to do with his father's death, but I was waiting for a little bit more, like, I wanted to, and and I had to look it up, like, 
right, the guys that committed the crime, they were, you know, how were they convicted? What process did they go through? You know, did they plead out? Did they go to trial? You know, like a little bit more on that just to say, here's what these guys said about, you know, why they did what they did. Versus, they I don't even remember. Yeah, they, it said in the documentary that they were they caught. They caught. They caught two guys for it, and, and they served time. But like, I wanted, I felt like that would have taught you know, clo- added some closure to it in terms of, you know, look, the guys that did it, you know, are look, just show their mug shots or something, so we can go look. Those aren't mafia hitmen or something stupid, you know, to put those stupid yeah. rumors to, to bed. Um. I, I don't trust Bob Costas as it is. So like that didn't, <laughs> you know, that, did, that didn't do enough for for me. And I'm not saying that that I buy into the conspiracy theories because I think that's the worst thing you anyone could could have said to Michael at that time. Um, you know, but I, I would, you know, just just 30 seconds I thought could have closed that whole thing definitively, and I felt like they left it hanging intentionally. Right. I agree. Now Jordan with baseball. What do you guys think he would have been um, just because of just his whole makeup? Do you think if they didn't go in a lockout, do you think he could have made the major leagues? Do you think he was unjustly um, uh, kind of put out there by the different media sites uh, or media publications at the time about how um, you know how bad he was when you when you kind of hear like no, actually the dude was actually doing pretty well at baseball considering the fact he hasn't he didn't play since he was 18 years old or 17 years old I believe for for me I'm not a baseball guy I'll never sit here and try to act like you're I'm lying. lying your brother plays so so you're, my, bro- you're exactly. my brother <laughs> plays. You're, you're there watching my little brother. brother plays right but I can't I'm sitting here as this is happening believing the hype that Jordan was bad I'm not gonna watch no no baseball game unless it's family since Sam want to throw me under the bus. <laughs> um, so I thought for the longest, Jordan was horrible at baseball. Not even alive, but I guess watching this documentary and learning uh, just a little bit more of Jordan's character and how he's like, like someone said earlier, he's just a, a psychopath when it comes to his craft. <laughs> I was blown away with the work that he put in and the numbers he was putting up that maybe it could have been a shot that, that he got his chance in, in the big leagues. I thought the fascin- uh, a fascinating part of the story that I didn't know back then, and it just gave me, it, like, it, every time he speaks, it just chips away at Reinsdorf's credibility. Like, But when he said, oh, we put him in double A because the media center – could handle it and nowhere else could handle it. Well, Jerry Reinsdorf, you own, you own the darn club, like, like fix it. Like if he belongs in single A, put him in single A and block out media, like do what you have to do. Like, you know, um, I mean, if you're selling single A tickets for the first time in forever, you can afford to put a media trailer out by in center field. Like, I, I don't know, but you know, they put him in double A and, and they kind of insinuated he didn't belong there right away but that he worked his way to belonging there. And, and I said it in the group text, like, I'm not a baseball guy at all. I can't evaluate. I don't know. I I really don't watch baseball consistently unless the Dodgers are in the World Series. Uh, but for Terry Francona to talk about him the way he did, who has always come across as a, a 
baseball guy's baseball guy to me. Like, you know, like he's, he's, he's the old school guy that everybody loves, but he's enough new school that the players love him. Um, you know, for him to talk about him that way and for him to, you know, kind of give him his seal of approval and the hitting coach. And um, I mean, hitting a curveball is one of the toughest things to do in sports. So the fact that he was putting in work to figure that out, I'd bet on Mike to figure that out sooner rather than later. No, absolutely. So the, go ahead. Um, I, 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 I thought too that, you know, as far as the way he, he was covered in the media, I think predominantly the media is, you know, reports negative stories and you never had anything negative or anything you know, really to say about Michael Jordan. So when they found a little cheek in his armor, which was he wasn't, you know, a great baseball player or nor near as great as he was at basketball, I think there was a lot of media people clamoring for it, waiting for his fall from grace. And I also I also never got too much into the conspiracy theories, but, you know, I was wanting to know, well, David Stern put that to bed about, you know, the conspiracy theory that he – had to um, leave basketball and they didn't want to cheek his armor, so to speak. So they, you know, he went to go play baseball for two years instead of them announcing a suspension for two years because, you know, he was gambling or if he was gambling on games or anything like that. No, yeah, that was interesting as well. It definitely was. And and even in that scene where um, he's up in the press box and Jerry Reinsdorf lets Jerry Krause know, do you guys think Jerry Krause was the leak? to the media that night to him retiring man that, that's a good I, question I honestly didn't think about that till you said something but I wouldn't be surprised if it was honestly um, because that leaked quick and you know something like that spread like wildfire to the fact that he had to Hurry up and get him and his family or whoever he was with up out of there. That that was crazy. No, it definitely was. In that '94 season, where basically Scottie Pippen, I mean, we talked about obviously that end game um, with him, you know, uh, quitting on the team at the end. But just that '94 season alone was that one of the. Do you guys think again? Uh, we talked about some of the best coaches. Um, who you guys feel are the best coaches in, in a previous episode? Do you guys feel Phil and and Tex that was probably their best coaching job with that particular team? I mean, by but default, the dynasty. Yeah, by default, by default. Yeah. I mean, you lose the best player in basketball, you're gonna have to coach a little bit more. Do you? Let me ask you this: Do you think because uh, Jordan kind of hardened them dudes um, through through the previous years, um, the machine just kept rolling? so to speak, not just because of Phil. And like you said, he has to coach by default, but through what Jordan put those guys yeah. through. Yeah, I mean, I, I when you talk about a, a really good team, the longer that team's together and the more professional they are, I think the less the coach has to do going forward. You know what I'm saying? That's why experience matters so much. You know, that when – Coaches always say, you know, we got a young group. Usually that means I gotta I gotta coach these guys. But when they say, you know, we got a you know, a veteran group or we got a bunch of upperclassmen, that usually means, you know, the team could kinda 
they can kind of police themselves in a lot of ways. No, absolutely. And uh, this got, kind of goes away from the uh, documentary. Uh, I got to ask, though, but do you think, because everybody makes this damn comparison, and I hate when they do, just like you said, let the greats be the greats. Do you think that's one of the biggest problems with LeBron? As far as what? James. As far as him, uh, as far as his leadership, right? So we see a Michael Jordan-led team. He leaves the team. They do pretty well. Every time LeBron leaves, that team or that organization goes to shit. No, I think that has to do a lot with coaching. LeBron's never really played with, you know, I think that's you know great coaches. Um, you know, it, it compared – yeah, that's by, that's of course that's by design, but I think that plays a part into, you know, when LeBron leaves a team, they, they probably won't leave the playoffs, you know, make, make it to the playoffs the next season or even have a respectable – you know, uh, Eastern Conference or record because he, he's only been in the East until now. Uh, I think that has to do, you know, with coaching and goes back to Phil Jackson doing a better, you know, he has to coach better, but he still had Scottie Pippen. He still had a great, he still had great players, great role players. Scottie Pippen got to play a bigger role, which I think he fulfilled um, that year, making it to East. the Western Conference Finals, I believe, right to the Knicks. Eastern Conference Finals. Um you know, so they, you know, they were one step short of where they had been the last three years. Uh, I think that's a testament to the rest of the Bulls team and uh, Coach Bill Jackson. Yeah, I see. I if I, I get in a lot of dumb Twitter fights and Facebook fights o- o- over these over the years, and I've tried to stay out of it. But the one thing I'll say, and and I'm a LeBron fan, um, but the LeBron teams get worse after LeBron. That's part of the problem. There is that LeBron has tried mm-hmm. to play GM. Uh, in a lot of situations. So when he leaves, everybody goes, well, I'm if he's out, I'm out. Um, or, no. or they're on the same short-term contracts or they're on this. And I, I will say this about the one thing I have to defend LeBron on consistently with, with some guys on our staff when we get to arguing is they go, LeBron never gets labeled a coach killer. And he's a co- you know, David Black goes to the finals <laughs> and he's out. And, you know, and, and there's, there's some – legitimacy to those to some of those stories but eric spolstra could end up a hall of famer when this is all all said and done mm-hmm. um i don't know about some of these other guys but spolstra and and spolstra very early in his career had my favorite of all time pat riley back in him so so that plays a role but you know you look at what okay you want to compare it to them you look at what a strong front office does to back a young coach like spolstra versus Jerry Krause backing out on Doug Collins, uh, you know, when times got tough. So, uh, you know, I think there's, there's some fascinating comparisons over the, over those years. And I'm not, I mean, expansion had diluted the NBA for a few years there too. Uh, you know, so for Phil to reap all this credit for coaching Scotty and those guys up, he gets some from me, but not a ton. Yeah, for for me, I'm going to say my little comment, and then I got a question since we brought up uh, Collins. But for me, you know, I played basketball with J.D. and he'll attest in high school. I think our practices were by far the toughest that we ever endured. So come game time, it was easy for us. And I think because – 
that roster stayed pretty much intact, it was the same thing. Um, guys knew their role. They knew what they were good at. They knew, you know, facing Jordan every day at practice was probably going to be some of the, the toughest com- competition that they've ever faced. So stepping out on that court, it was easy for them to win, you know, 54 games um, that following year Jordan left. Um, and then my question was, does Collins win uh, three championships if he gets to stay? I don't think he does. I don't think I don't think, think he, he wins was, any? I don't think he was the coach they needed to win a championship. I don't think he would have gotten them over the hump with the way with the way okay he coached them. I think he may get them over the hump for one or two, but remember, three peats are so darn rare. Yeah, the 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 most underrated part of the three peat was that Pat Riley trademarked the term three peat when he was a Lakers coach, but they never actually three peated. So when the Bulls three peated twice, Pat Riley got paid on all those t shirts and hats <laughs> and hundred percent percent true story. Oh, yeah. When the Lakers won two in a row, Pat Riley that summer trademarked the term three peat. And it never wow. came to fruition, so it never happened. But Smart. when the Bulls – I mean, think about how much money Pat Riley made off the Bulls while he's coaching wow. the Knicks. Right. It's unbelievable. Wow. And, yeah, like you said, I, I it's hard to say. It, if if the man – again, I don't think they're three people. I do think they win a title with Doug Collins as a coach. I, I just don't – Because they were turning upwards. I just don't up. think I, I, give Michael the ball and get I, the hell out the way it was going to cut it. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with Ant. Like, um, I think Phil was the coach in uh, Tex Winters was the coaches that got Jordan to kind of trust his teammates and play a little different. He was still as dominant as a player, but now, you know, I think with them, they they created a dominant team. Uh, because my, you know, they played a different philosophy of basketball rather than just give Michael the ball and get out the way. And I also think, you know, playing that way, you know, just, you know, helped my, Michael's career as far as, you know, like I said, being a dominant player. Now, you know, being on the on the one of the most dominant teams of his era, if ever, you know, um, I think Phil and, you know, and his assistants were the ones who got him to change his playing style and buy into that new way of playing because, you know, so much of his career was give Michael the ball and I'm going to sit on the bench and watch him play and coach defense. That's true. Absolutely. And and Phil's laid back approach in terms of letting Rodman go to Vegas and absolutely. let let Jordan Lord, let let Jordan play giving them days off when they needed it and doing all that part under understanding that hey i was a pro i'm gonna treat you like a pro we're men here like you know you know people you know i love i had a parent back way back in the day when i started coaching well well phil jackson doesn't yell at his guys well that's because phil jackson's guys got yelled at 15 years ago when they were in high school too like you know it's 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 just different but phil's approach you know resonates with the right kind of pro, if you will, guys that you responsible pros, it resonated with them because they, you know, if they broke it, then things changed, but they respected it. So he respected them. Absolutely. Hey, Ryan, I actually have a question for you just because 
Uh, you might know uh, a certain somebody that was at those certain runs, but um, for Warner Brothers to make that that kind of dome stadium for them, and, and for them to have those NBA guys join Jordan um, during the making of Space Jam, do you have any recollection or different any stories from back then about those particular runs? So. So I, I found out recently that I actually knew two guys there. So Chris Johnson, who's Marcus's kid, uh, who played at UCLA and everything, spoke to our team last week. And I didn't realize Chris and, and Slam, Slam Magazine just released like an oral history of the Space Jam runs or something. If you can go read that, it's fantastic. Um, but so Chris was there as a youngster in college. But I, I kind of part of my start in coaching was working Jack Haley's camp uh, back in the day. And, and Jack. God rest his soul was was great to me and took me under his wing and I, and I worked that camp as long as they had it and, and Jack was a, a reference on my resume anytime I applied for a job and I mean I coached his kids in AU on and on and on Jack I, I really got to know Jack and I feel, feel really lucky to have had that relationship but Jack was part of those runs so what they don't tell you and it, it could have tied uh, episode six and eight, you know, six and whatever the Space Jam episode was together was it wasn't just that Jordan was filming all day and then working out like all afternoon, all evening or this, that and the other. They would play cards till all hours of the night, according to Jack. But Jack was like, if I finish playing cards at five in the morning, I can sleep till three and go <laughs> get up and go play pickup. Michael's got to get up and go film Space Jam, you know, and. And so it was, it, Jack just said, Jack's stories of it were that, you know, that's, you know, it's just another notch in, in the, in the storyline of Michael being the absolute alpha dog was he wanted to, you know, have a, a blockbuster summer movie. He did that. He wanted to be the best basketball player in the world. He was working on doing that again. And then he wanted to take everybody's money, whether it was $1 or $1,000 a hand, like he didn't care. And, um, you see, I was, I was shouting at my wife last night cause she didn't know me back in those days, but I was so excited just to see Jack running up and down the court last night. And, um, you know, he kind of gets a bad rap for some Lakers fans for some stuff that happened when he was, a, you know, a, a studio host with them. But, but, you know, Jack, Mike, the first time Jack ever had a camp and it was at Westlake high school, the first guest speaker ever at Jack's camp was Michael Jordan. So, uh, and the best story about that is, and I hope this kid never hears this story, Michael, Jack always made every player that came and spoke sign autographs for the whole camp. And he set the camp up to, to uh, sucker punch, if you will, the guest speaker. You know, he had the last, he'd go one more question and he had like just the smallest, cutest kid in camp raise his hand. And the last question was, you know, Mr. Jordan, will you stay and sign autographs? And that was the cue for the camp to just lose their mind and run all over the gym. And we spent 30 minutes a day rehearsing it with the camp, like <laughs> getting them to run all over the gym. So the, so the player couldn't say no. And Mike snuck out the back door. But what he did do was sign a pair of Jordan ones and say, okay, you can raffle them off. And so true story. We every kid gets a raffle ticket, has to write their name on it. And then obviously they keep their number, their half of the ticket. Jack pulls the ticket out and it's the absolute biggest problem child in camp. <laughs> biggest problem child in camp. 
And j- this is just the genius of Jack. Jack's like, there's no way I'm letting this, this kid get an autographed pair of Michael Jordan. There's no way. And uh, Jack thought of another camper's name and just blurted it out. And that kid that was a problem child to this day doesn't know that he didn't get the Jordan 1s autographed Jordan ones, <laughs> and that some kid that was a good kid that Jack remembered for being a good kid got him because he because he was a good kid so um you know that was that was my brief interaction with that group crazy that is why what and what do you, like everybody else what do you what do you guys did you guys know about those ones um or was that kind of just private to all of us and we kind of just learning about it now uh that's to Jayla at and JD, did you again? Did you guys know about them or hear about them? I heard, I heard about them um, way back when. I I heard that he'd have. I didn't know he was doing it damn near every night, but I heard you know he'd have guys come up. Um, I didn't know that it was actually on the Warner Brothers studio. I thought they were like at UCLA or something like that, or you know something close proximity, but. Yeah, I heard about the runs. Yeah, I heard about the runs as well. But what I did know is the um, the level of players that were going to the runs. You know, Patrick Ewan, Reggie Miller. You know, the best players in the NBA are are going to these runs, working out with Michael Jordan. They said they would lift before um, as well, and and it brought me to you know some of these guys now. You know Charles Barkley and some of these guys. You know I don't I don't want to work out with anybody or you know these guys too nice. They all friendly. They work out together in the off season. Well, you know Jordan was doing that. You know Reggie Miller was doing that. Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing. They were all at the Space Jam runs, um, working out together, working on their working on their craft, competing against one another in the summer. And I think Jordan and the Bulls took it a step further by you know him being out of the game and. He was using it to scout guys. Yeah, I think that was a big diabolical, diabolical. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> come hang out with me in Hollywood. And by the way, yeah, yeah, I think that was a big mistake for the league. Yeah, I, I knew. So I didn't know about the runs. I mean, I know a little bit about them, like everybody else. <clears throat> but and like, like Jay Lott said, I thought they were definitely out like UCLA or something like that. I didn't know it was just so dungeon of a tent, you know what I'm saying, that everybody had to come, you know, kiss the ring and come play. I didn't know that. <laughs> I just thought it was like UCLA, everybody was up there hooping. Like, every, like any other summer. Part of the reason we knew about it, you know, going to high school in the Valley was because the Northridge earthquake was just a little bit before that and mm-hmm. Alamany's gym had collapsed in that earthquake. So Alamany had a Space Jam type tent on campus before the Space Jam thing filming was. Alamany was part of the test run for this group making these things. And they would play like freshman and JV games there. And then their varsity games, they would rent a gym and play, you know, play in a real gym or whatever. But Alamany had that bubble. And then it was a big deal that like, I don't know if it was actually Jordan, but, you know, the Warner Brothers crew came and checked out Alamany to see what they could build for Mike. And so, like, word, you know, the buzz in the valley with all Alamany's big time and took 15 more years for that to happen. So, good for them. That's crazy. Uh-huh. But I want to kind of talk about, you know, what prompted those um, those summer runs and those summer workouts, what drove those. 
is, you know, a lot of people, when you hear about the Jordan story, is Jordan won six straight. But he didn't win six straight because when he came back, he lost to Samson's Orlando Magic <laughs> and Horace Grant and, and a young Shaq and Nick Anderson and, Penny. and Scott, you know. And I think – and Penny, and I think oh, – of course. And I think that gets overlooked yeah. a lot when you just say – Jordan won six straight. He's undefeated. You know, he, you know, it's like, no, I mean, there was, there was actually a few years before he got over the top, you know, to, you know, beating Detroit when he was running into Detroit and the Celtics back in the day. And then there was that year when, when Orlando put him out of the playoffs, it was a shortened season, him coming back, but he was on the floor. I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly that that part for some reason gets glossed over. Like I think the six and O finals record is impressive, but it's almost like, you know, when people argue Joe Montana and Tom Brady, well, Tom Brady's lost X amount of Super Bowls and Joe Montana was undefeated. Well, Tom Brady's been there five more times. Like, what right. what's better, not getting there or losing when you're there? Like, I'd, I'd rather get to the last game of the year than not get to the last game of the year. Right. And, I mean, we're I'm, I'm nitpicking at this point. I still believe Jordan's on Mount Rushmore. Like, there's no debating that Absolutely. in my mind, but – yeah, this the the, the narrative no, no. is a little flawed at times. I do think that he needed that to put him back in that psychopath mode. Was losing to Orlando, you know, Nick Anderson tipping the ball away, and was it game one or game two, whichever game it was. I think he did need that, especially coming back from baseball, to kind of remind him, like. There's cats that really want to come at my throne. I need to get back on my shit to make sure I don't let this happen. Um, and, and like we've said all through the episodes, it doesn't take much to fuel Jordan. I think just losing to a very talented Orlando team and it being Horace on the other end fueled him to get right. What do you say? It took a couple months to go from a baseball body back to a basketball body and mm-hmm. – Start those runs and see, okay, Reggie's doing this. Ron Howard's doing this. Pat Ewing's doing it. I think, like like you said, it was a diabolical plan from the moment he lost that game. I think the wheels were already turning. What, what do you think fueled him? Both. The loss of Horace Grant getting carried off the Both, yeah, a combination. Both. Yeah, you think both? <laughs> that was tough. I forgot they carried him off till I saw that last night. <laughs> yeah, no, I forgot about that too. And you would have thought they that's why we lost finals. finals. Tell you that right now. <laughs> Peak, <laughs> no, yeah, early and, and 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 like I think I told, Hakeem, I think I said uh, to Ryan yesterday, everybody a big. Uh, I can't <sighs> stand Nick Anderson. So he completely lost Nick Buckle. Hey, let's, hey look, can we talk about the never been the same. We don't gotta talk about. <laughs> we don't gotta talk about this. <laughs> you had You still got the magic starter jacket in your closet, Yo, don't you? Oh man, I got. I got Penny. I got Penny jersey. I got Shaq jersey. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. This has nothing to do with the documentary, but I was a huge, huge, huge Fab Five fan, and when they drafted Chris Webber, I was fired up for all of 15 minutes because I thought that was gonna be the front court to end all front courts. Oh my goodness. No, that sucks. I can't lie. But the fellas, can we get M- can we get NBA TV to air two things? We need the video of the select team scrimmage in Ooh. San Diego where they beat the pros, and we need the pro yes. the pro on pro violence in Monte Carlo 
um, that is supposedly the greatest pickup <laughs> game ever played. If the footage exists, let's just it, air it. It's out there. <laughs> yeah. Why hold on to that, Jim? It's out there. It's got to be on there. They've already got it. They're cutting up footage and putting it in stuff. They've got it yeah. somewhere. No, absolutely. So, I mean, you guys kind of talked about it going into that 96 season. And they end up going 72-10, and 10, obviously winning the championship that year. Um, just kind of talk about what do, you, what do you think their mindset was? I mean, obviously, they, they go into, uh, I think it was Judd Bushler, Scotty, and them. They're sitting there, and they're like, uh, I don't see us losing a game mm-hmm. for another two or three months. Yeah. Crazy. In the NBA, that's crazy. I think the, I think the mindset was <laughs> uh, just kill everything. Ask questions after. Because – I feel like they they felt like they had a lot to prove. And with Michael coming back, he felt like he had a lot to prove. So then you got Dennis in the mix. And it just – I just really feel like that team was was well-oiled for all the right reasons. Okay, here here's my question to bring it back to Scotty. And I agree with everything that's been said. Scotty, Scotty had some very selfish moments, this, that, and the other. But Scotty was was welcoming Mike back with open arms. A selfish guy doesn't do that, right? I think a, selfish a selfish guy, guy goes, guy "No, we're going to win one more." I'm the man. I think a guy who knows he needs help. Yeah, he. You knows think he that man's got help. fear he in his heart? He knew it. Guy. Absolutely. And I think he got a taste of it, and he's figured oh, like, yeah. Being yeah. Mike is a lot harder than it looks. I just need him to come back so I can go back to being Scotty. I I think he he welcomed as much as he wanted to be the man. I think he welcomed the Batman role. Um, that great talk we had. Um, I don't think he he wanted that pressure to to be the man night in and night out. I think he wanted to play defense, distribute. But I think he was low-key deep down inside. He was begging Mike to come back, honestly. I did something. I mean, I had this conversation with my buddy a while back, and the one thing I always I stand, I stand on was Scotty did not play well against physical teams, not just Detroit. You go look at his numbers against the Knicks, they weren't good. You go look at his numbers against Indiana, they weren't good. He just he's just That's not that person. And it's okay. Like it's okay to be, you know, the second right. fiddle to a superstar. And sometimes just because the superstar's gone doesn't mean you can fill those shoes. As long as you're okay with it, then everybody else yeah. will be okay with it. That's that's interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Cause like uh what? Every every you said that thing about the migraine and and then with Detroit, with the Knicks yeah. of that time, he struggled in those series. Uh, and what other what other teams at that time did he struggle with? Indiana. That's what it was. Pacers. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Hey, I liked Reggie's comment last night, and, mm-hmm. and I give props for having the guts to say it on a Michael Jordan documentary. No, I still think we were the no, better team. The Indiana team was good, man. <laughs> 
They were very yeah, was. yes. Wasn't Jalen Rose on that Indiana Reggie team too? Jalen Rose, Mark Jackson, Rick, Rick Smith, uh, Rick and Chris Paul were sporting some bad white guy shaped heads. <laughs> like I just gotta speak up for my for my my come home not by choice type guys. I, Rick Smith's the only thing worse would have been if he put on a headband. No, 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 no. Nah, that was later. And wasn't uh, Jamal yeah, Tinsley on that team too? It was Mark Jackson. Yeah. Mark Jackson. They Mark had, Jackson. I want to say Aaron McKee came Mark off the bench. They had a good team, man. Yeah, they had a very good team. Aaron McKee from Temple. That, that, yeah, that, that Pacers team was good. It was really, really good. And Reggie made Rip Hamilton millions of dollars <laughs> by running off single doubles all day. And that, I mean, I think that's part of the, the document I'm looking forward to is uh, hopefully episode nine is about that whole series. So I believe it went seven games, the Eastern Conference Finals. But did it? Rest the Pacers? Oh, did it? I want to see. I, I think it was seven. I think the Pacers okay. series went – I think they, they pushed them games, to seven. So I'm looking forward to that episode. But to get back to before, two years before that, 96 with the Sonics, what was your guys' reaction to 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 what GP was saying about <laughs> Jordan and Jordan looking at that like, come on, man, like you can't, you know, he couldn't hold me. <laughs> I I think it's that I'm gonna talk this shit now because we already <laughs> know the outcome. Um, at, at first when Jordan said I had no issue with Gary Payne, I just had a lot of stuff on my mind. I completely forgot that that was a game six right. Father's Day or whatever. This is his first time back in the final without his dad. So when he first said that, I was like, man, this is complete bullshit. Then 30 seconds later, they go into how it's Father's Day, and I was like, oh, he might have just had two bad games because he legit had shit on his mind. But I think GP was, as mm-hmm. much as I love Gary Payton, I think he was just talking out of his ass because he knew Mike had two bad games. He had two good games. I I laughed my ass off when he said that shit too. You know, Mike Mike is, I mean, from his Hall of Fame speech to last night, he's got a whole <laughs> new career as a meme, yes. and it, it's it's almost unintentional at times. Like obviously unintentional at times, but like I mean, God, is he just giving us some of the best replies in a group chat without having to yeah. say a word? Like. He's unbelievable, man. The way his responses to things are so matter of the, fact. The uh, Gary Payton thing, I've been hearing that for a long time. Me being a Jordan fan, I used to have to defend those those numbers to people, you know, <laughs> people kind of like using those against me and my argument of, you know, why Michael's so great. So, I mean, I've heard, I knew about those games and I've 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 had to hear those numbers before. No, no doubt. Where does that team sit in, in NBA history? Is that the best team of all time right there? That 72 and 10 team and mm. winning the championship? To me, yeah. Wow. I think so also because I hate the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we had this debate in, in a group chat, J.D. Sam. I We sat there and debated with Manny. Hey, first off, it's time out. Time I, would, out, time I out. wish. Look what you just said. I love him. I love him. What you just said. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he, he's the guy that calls Chris Paul. But no, 
that that Bulls team versus that 0-1 Lakers team. I would love to see that. And I'm a Laker hater. I said that last week. I think I said it the week before. I would love to see that matchup between those two teams in a seven-game series. I think if you – I'm a Laker hater. I'm a Laker yeah, hater. I, I that think, 0-1 Lakers team was tough. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I would, I would love to see those two teams. Yeah, I second <laughs> that Laker hate as well. But uh, but I think that was a gr- that was the greatest team of all time because the regular season dominance and then the postseason dominance. And wasn't that the year that they started to come Ooh, out with the remember. Black Sox and the Black Shoes in the playoffs? I remember that. Might have been. And it was like just a symbol of like you know we're gonna murder everything everything in our way as we did in the in the regular season. Quick and um, you know I think definitely Rodman being added to that team just put them over so the top. So quick a quick Google search here says the okay. Bulls wore black socks in '96, <laughs> but that's not very extensive research. <laughs> well, I think that's man that's pretty much a great recap, man of of. Seven and eight, man. What do you? How do you guys envision for nine and ten? And, and kind of said that this is it. This is it. No, go ahead. Hold on. I want a bonus DVD episode eleven. That's <laughs> just them handing the iPad to Jordan and him reacting to interviews. I could watch that for hours. For hours. Uncut, unedited. I don't need any production value. It can have the timer in the upper upper right hand corner. It, it, I, I want a bonus DVD of Jordan's reaction every time they show him to something. Oh, show him something. But yeah, how do you guys see 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 nine and ten going? And again, it kind of sucks that that's just, that's going to be the last. This upcoming Sunday is going to be the last um, episodes. How do you think it'll all culminate together? I'm not looking forward to it, to be honest with you. I I feel like, you know, obviously you want to see the end. You want to see how it all ties up, but you definitely don't want to see this be over at all. Um, yeah, I just mm-hmm. feel like I'm I'm interested to see how they all tie this in because, you know, obviously the '98 season has to come to an end because that's the la- that's the that's that's actually the last dance, and I think they have to talk about the. The two series, the second series against the Utah Jazz. So they're going to tie in both Jazz series in these last two episodes. I would assume. I I would. I'm hoping that like I I don't know like the last 45 minutes of the last episode are just straight. You know, 98 playoffs. Right. Like let's let all right. At some point, let's just go. Um, I love all the backstory. I, I love the way they're doing it, but at some point, I want them to just go. Maybe that might head be first it. into that because they they have to spend more time on that NBA that last. Cause that's what this is all about is that season. So I would assume sooner or later they got right. to focus on that. So maybe it is the last episode is just all that '98 season. That '98, yeah, maybe so. I. I'm hoping it's more basketball on court that they focus on rather than the shit with Jerry and, and all that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm. I know it's a big part of the story, but I'm also tired of it at this point. So I'm hoping. I really hope that it's just straight, you know, uh, 
them putting pedal to the metal and focusing in on that 98 season and a little bit of that Indiana series, I do want to see because I completely mm-hmm. forgot about that Indiana series. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I want to see a lot more of the basketball. I think we got, you know, six episodes of the backstory and the, the key players in the in the documentary. And, I, you know, I think a lot of people forget how dominant Michael Jordan was just on the court. They show glimpses of it. But, you know, that definitely that 98 season when I think he knew he was going to retire again, um, it was another level of dominance when they got to that playoffs. And there was also a different level of competition because people were coming for Mike's throne as they also, everyone knew that it was his last, you know, it was his last year, the Bulls last year. And so they, they all wanted to knock him off his throne. And that Indiana series is, is, is one of the ones that I remember vehemently that, um, that Utah was series competitive, was you know, that, dog that fight to the end to get loaded, to the finals. Man. They don't get enough respect yeah. at all in history for that team. They were good. That team does not get enough respect. I agree. Yeah, Jeff really Hornacek agree. was better than Dan Marley. <laughs> you got John, Jeff. Definitely. <laughs> I agree Russell, with that. Carl Malone, Greg Ostertag. You even had uh, Howard Isley. Howard, Howard Isley, Isley. Shannon Anderson. Isley. Howard Isley. And then you got the great yeah. fucking Jay Sloan. Who I named in my top no. five. Oh, that's top who four coach. My Mount was Jeff Foster. And, and Jerry Sloan was a tough as nails player. Yeah. And you had um, Antoine Carr. So, yeah. I'm saying that team was good. I'm talking about like nine deep. Good. Solid. Yeah, I just I just pulled up the roster right here. We're missing guys that played big yeah. time roles. Jacques Vaughn Adam was a Keith. rookie on that team. Yeah, Adam Keith was on that team. I said Shannon, Shannon Anderson. Anderson was a second yeah. year pro on that team. Oh my fault, my fault, my fault. Uh, Greg Foster, I mean, God, that's 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 Greg Foster. That team that's loaded, that. man. Yeah. yeah, that 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 team had dudes. You know, but you you let you let history tell it. You know, nobody was good in Utah, and Mike didn't play against anybody in the finals. That's, it's, it's interesting you say that because I that was uh, – I had a kid <laughs> hit me up on Twitter today about all that, basically downplaying the talent between – in the 90s pretty much. Of course. Saying every team had – what did the young man say? Every team had one superstar and a bunch of mediocre role players. That was the, the exact quote. But of course. This is, actually, is this a kid this currently like, in high school? Pat him on the head and, this is, and this move is, on. This is, Send him some this YouTube videos, man. man. He's still young. Yeah. Uh, still, he's still young, but I mean, like, Whoa. but like the people saying Jordan didn't play against, against anybody because Rick Carlisle and Danny Ainge looked like they looked. Danny Ainge was a three-sport All-American in high school. Like, right. you know, Danny Ainge wasn't some chunk. And um, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't like the, well, he, you know, people, people want to kill Bill and Wilt because the league was smaller, but then the other side of that argument was, well, then doesn't that mean all the good players are on less teams? Like, you know, the talent is more concentrated and I, I don't like the cross killing of generations because of competition level. I think that's, that's, it's, it's too hard to do. Well, the hand check, well, this, well, that, well, you know. All right, the game's changed. It's not, 
Mike's fault he came up under a different set of rules than LeBron, than Kobe, than Bill, than Wilt. Then it's just they found a way to dominate yeah, well, with th- what the rules were. But at doesn't the time. that also, uh, at the end of the day, it's going to happen yeah. 25 years from now, too? Again, yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. Uh huh. You know oh, it'll, so it'll, ha- it'll happen. Just, for I, the rest I, of I, I told the kid, I said, look, man, I'm not going to argue with you. Um, Anthony, actually, you know who the, who the kid is. You should, you should know who he is. <laughs> Send them um, to me. I'm bored. That was my point. I said, man, just enjoy, you know, the eras for what they were. Enjoy for what they were and, and kind of go move on from there. No need to say this person's the greatest or these people are the greatest. Just move on and enjoy it from there. So, man, I thank you guys man, for taking some, some time out of your, your late afternoon, early evening to get on the podcast. I mean, we got one more episode after this. No, there's gonna be a there's gonna there's be an episode be. eleven. We're gonna have to come up with new topics too when there's when this be. ends because I enjoy this weekly. You guys, I, I, I enjoy this, this definitely it has guys. made the quarantine a little hey. bit more doable. I, I definitely right. look forward to my Mondays. Um, <laughs> I I gotta give Chris. Uh, yeah, I missed the last couple of weeks, but. Um, yeah, I definitely uh, enjoy these these basketball talks with people who understand the game that's, and grew up that's, in the that's same eras, playing, 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 and understanding uh, the game. The people who are in it, I can't talk basketball with just anybody, man. I have a very <laughs> short fuse and a low tolerance for you know <laughs> special education, so I can't talk to a lot of people, man. Forget it, Jaylat. What were you about to say? <laughs> You're hey, not wrong. I got I to gotta give Steve Kerr some love, yo, because I heard the story, but this was my first time, like, hearing it. And Ant talked about, you know, standing up to the bully. And the way he stood up to Jordan, I think that kind of entrusted that relationship in itself. Like, okay, Steve ain't no, uh, Steve ain't no bitch out here. I mean, I'm going to still deck him in his eye, but. Ryan, Ryan said it. Ryan yeah, said it like yeah, week one or week two or something about Steve Kerr's upbringing and how he was seeing some stuff. I was like, I didn't know what he meant by that, but obviously. Yeah, I think that was episode two. I think that. Yeah. Well, part of that story is I didn't know. Right. I never knew that. In the chest. I, I noticed, no, noticed the only one that was Jordan. <laughs> Steve Kerr didn't go, yeah, I got up in soccer and then realized, oh, I had a fight on my hands. Like, it, the, the story's always a little bit different from Mike's perspective. And, I, and the, as a coach, oh, man. as a player, I, I know I hate those practices more than any practices in the world. When the, the team's already loaded against you. you, you that happens some days. You just, coach just gives you the worst pick and you got the, the terrible squad. And then on top of that, I can't get no calls. Oh, I hated those days more than anything, man. <laughs> I'm not commenting on whether it happens or not in more part. Cause I'm exactly, because I know we do it in deal with right it. now. And the girls lose their mind when that happens. So I know. Yeah. Nah, but again, man, thank you guys. And look forward to, like I said, look forward to next week. And obviously look forward to the group chat throughout the week.
So talk to Absolutely. you guys. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate right. it, guys. Thank you. All right, y'all. Have Later, one. fellas. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you can do me a huge favor and like, subscribe uh, to the podcast on all podcasting platforms such as Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, and various others that are out there. Whatever you listen to, Google Play, like I said, just all the podcasts. Really, really appreciate those that have been rocking with us throughout these times. Again, thank you very much. Like and subscribe. The Garage.